So the GLOW series, this is actually the last of the, the mini-series, this GLOW series, this idea of leaving a mark for Jesus, making a, making a difference, having an effect. We've been talking about, for the most part, the angle we've been approaching it from and the speakers that have been sharing, and even last week as well, it's been a lot to do with the way we live our lives. So we focused a lot on the idea of, of trying to honor the Lord by the way we live, the way we love, the way we work, the way we engage people relationally. And it hasn't been so much about necessarily talking a lot. It's been more about the quality of our life, representing the heart of God. But in this last piece, I do want to talk about this other part. I want us to think about what it means to to be willing to talk on behalf of Jesus, to be able to share our heart, to share our love for him, to be able to talk about him with others. We want to do that through the lens of, of an, a kind of really fascinating incident that occurs in this recording in the book of Acts, early on in the book of Acts. It actually has to do with an interaction that takes place between a man named Philip. Now, Philip is, some of you may know, that was one of the main disciples of Jesus. The original disciples was a man named Philip. And Philip in John 1 brought his friend Nathaniel to Jesus. So we could have just talked about that conversation. It would, have, it would have also been a great example of how we can glow, how we can make a difference, how we can let our light shine. But the Philip that we're going to look at is a different Philip. He's a Philip in the book of Acts. He was a Philip who was one of the early church leaders. He was actually called a deacon. Uh, that was a servant leader in the early church that had just come about in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples came together and they formed a core of a church and that church grew in the city of Jerusalem. Philip was one of their leaders. We're going to look at a conversation that takes place, an amazing exchange that takes place between this man, Philip, and a man that we don't know the name of, but we, we've, as church tradition and history, as the years have gone by, he's been designated by a kind of sobriquet, a nickname. He's called, he's called the Ethiopian eunuch because it's the way the Bible describes him. So we don't know his name, but that's how he's referred to. We're going to talk about this exchange that occurs between Philip, this early church leader, and this man, this sincere seeker of God, this Ethiopian, who we are going to see had an amazingly open heart. So towards God, he was seeking. So we're going to look at that. Now, to set it into context, though, I want to sort of give everybody an idea of what exactly creates this opportunity. One of the things that we know is that it wasn't too many years after the you know, ascension of Jesus and, and the establishment of the church in the city of Jerusalem, that they begin to get persecuted. Now, Jesus had told his disciples and his followers, who were all Jewish at the time, right? They were, the church was somewhat insulated. He had told them to, to take this message to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We might say in our city, if we were using an analogy, you be my witnesses in San Francisco, in California, right? Into the rest of your country and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, they had stayed pretty insulated in Jerusalem. They hadn't really taken the message anywhere else. It was pretty locked in. It was something that God obviously was aware of, but something occurred that changed that. There was a catalyst. It wasn't something that was necessarily good as is the case sometimes with some of the biggest breakthroughs in our lives, they occur out of bad places. These unhealthy, unjust, unfair things that develop often are the precursors to amazing breakthrough. 
because it teaches us to rely on God in different ways. Here's the deal. The early church started getting persecuted. There was a man. Some people called, thought he was crazy. Others called him extraordinarily zealous. He was a Pharisee. He was young. He was a firebrand. He was highly intellectual. He was dangerous. He was passionate. He was a man named Saul of Tarsus. And he had led the charge. Ironically, this is the same man who will ultimately become the most famous follower of Jesus and the greatest missionary for Jesus this world has ever known. The Apostle Paul is who he will become. But at the time, he hated the way of Jesus. And so he started to persecute it. We read about it, and you can see it. This is in the handout as well. In Acts 8, he says that Saul, look at this, was going everywhere, verse 3 there, to destroy the church. He went from house to house. I mean, this was his deal, right? And he started dragging out. He was, it didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. He started dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. His callous violence becomes, ironically, a, a catalyst for the spreading of the message of Jesus. He, he, again, he forced them to flee and scatter. And so they did what they were probably supposed to do but had never done. They started going to the highways and the byways. They started going to different places. And they took with them their message. Now, one of the things that we know is that, and again, it's, it's another example of God, God uses what is meant for evil to bring good from it. Look what follows. It says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, this man that I referred to earlier, this early church leader, was also called Philip the Evangelist sometimes. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told people about the Messiah. Now, I asked if they could put up a map because I think it's helpful. I mean, these are places that geographically you can go to today. I mean, it's not identical, but for the most part, this is the same place. I mean, you can see where Israel is. This is Israel. In that, back in their day, it would have been um, slightly allocated in different spaces, but that's pretty much where Israel is today. So much of where our news is is right around this place in the world. I mean, you go east, you start heading towards Iran and Iraq, right? You've got Jordan, you've got Lebanon, you've got Syria, you've got Turkey. You go down south, you've got Egypt. You've got the whole rim of Africa there, the northern rim of Africa, which is where Ethiopia was located. In fact, at the time, this was about the extent of the known world to them. They did not know, they didn't even know there were, the, the ancient Greco-Roman world did not even know that there were other continents across, obviously. It was in South and North America. They didn't even know what it was. They didn't even know what was really past the, the, the rim of Africa. For them, Ethiopia in many ways was the uttermost part of the world. And so we can see, though, that Philip goes up to Samaria. Samaria is both a, a town and a region. It was a region. You can see where Judea is. Jerusalem was located in Judea, and that was in the south. Then you had in the north was the area, you can still see it today, Galilee, the Galilee, beautiful. You can see where the Sea of Galilee is in relation to the Mediterranean Sea, right? You see the river runs from Galilee, that's the Jordan River. Big part of the Bible talks about these places. The Jordan River runs out and it, it empties into a place that, where the water doesn't go anywhere. It's called the Dead Sea. But in between, you see this, this land, Israel. And in the middle of it, Samaria, it was a place where there was kind of a, a mixed people of mixed Jewish heritage. They were, they were not Jewish, but they had Jewish elements in, in their culture, uh, in their ethnicity. And uh, the Samaritans and the Jews had a lot of tension. Sometimes Jews would, and I'm just going to throw this, add this, sometimes they would bypass Samaria, cross over and come back into the Galilee. And Samaritans and Jews didn't get along too well. But Philip ends up scattering, and he goes to Samaria, the town that Sebastian, the Romans called it. He goes to that town, and something happened that he could not have anticipated. 
I mean, he takes them, he goes there, he starts talking about Jesus, and it had been so hard to, to get people to be open to the idea that Jesus was Messiah in Jerusalem compared to what happened in Samaria, to his shock, to his surprise, to his delight, to his amazement. The people in Samaria open up their hearts to the message of Jesus as Messiah. And there's this um, amazing breakthrough that occurs. I asked what they could put up the 12th verse because it tells us, it summarizes it. Look what it says. It says, but now the people believe Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And look at this. As a result, you know, kind of an indirect theme of our gathering, I guess, many men and women were what? They were baptized. So you have this explosion that occurs. Unexpected. It gets everybody's attention. Wasn't planned out. Just starts happening. And then what we see is God did something that was quite unexpected. And nobody could have expected what he was going to do. Certainly not Philip, because Philip's probably thinking, this is why God has me here. This is happening. This is amazing. But God did something that at first would have caught him completely off guard. Let's look at it together. Jump to verse 26. Again, I've got this in the handout as well. Acts 8, 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise. I need you to leave. I need you to get up and go. I need you to go towards the south. Go south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert region. So uh, how the angels spoke, we're not told. Clearly, Philip recognized it as some type of a heavenly communication, an undeniable impression. It was a curious one, almost illogical. Why? Because he was being asked to leave a place at the height of an unanticipated breakthrough to go to what? To go into the desert? For who? For why? What's going on? Can this be God? Is it God? It seems like it is. I don't know why that road went south. In fact, if we could flip back that map just one more time, just to give everybody an idea of what we're talking about. You see where Samaria is? He's in Samaria. That's where that amazing breakthrough is happening. He's told, I need you to, you need to leave. The impression he has, I need to go and I need to head south to Jerusalem. And there's this road that connects Jerusalem to Gaza. On that road, which leads through a desert region. So it was a road, but it was remote. It was isolated. You need to, that's where you need to go. So he starts heading down south, not knowing necessarily anything but a general idea that he's supposed to do it. It didn't necessarily even make a whole lot of sense, but he feels like the same impression that got him into the Samaritan town that created this beginning of a, of a breakthrough was the same impression he had from God that he was supposed to go down south. And so he starts heading in that direction. And we're told about a divine appointment that God sets up because there was a man. And we read about him right here in verse 27. It says, so he arose and he went. And behold, there's this man of Ethiopia. Now we're told a lot of details about him. Don't know his name, but we got some details. He was a man from Ethiopia, so we know where he's from, his country, his ethnicity. He was a Gentile, a eunuch of great authority, who was not just any man, he was a eunuch under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace was kind of the Ethiopian female version of Pharaoh, male version in Egypt. It was a general title more than a specific name. But what we're being told here is he also had a very significant position. He worked for the most powerful person, and he handled the money. He also was someone who, we're told here, had come to Jerusalem, you can see it there, to worship. because And he was returning, and he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading from the book that we can read today, the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And, oh, by the way, some, I don't know if everybody knows what a, a, a eunuch 
uh, hmm, this is like a pastoral landmine right here, but a eunuch, a eunuch was a castrated male who was often placed in charge of harems. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now, I think, because, but the point being is he was someone who also had tremendous power. And it appears that he had become a Gentile convert to the Jewish faith, to the belief in the one true God of Israel. And he was very devout, so devout that he made his way on what we might kind of describe as a trip to the Holy Land, right, today. He wanted to go to the epicenter of where that faith was. He clearly was seeking after God. He wanted to go to see the temple, and he probably went there. And if he did go there, he in Jerusalem, which would have been obviously the place he would have gone, he would have found that he could only go so far because the, there was a place where only Gentiles could go. Even if they were part of it, they could only go so far. And so we see this man who is still thinking about his experience. He's still trying to understand God, and he's reading out of, we would call a Bible, but really in their day would have been a scroll. He's reading out of the scroll of the book of Isaiah, the same book that we can read today. And it's amazing because as he's sitting there, and I'm assuming, we can assume that he was reading aloud which would have been a practice. So he's in the back of his chariot. He's, he's got this thing unscrolled, and he's reading, and he's reading aloud, basically, from the Bible. And we're told that then, look at verse 29. It says, then the Spirit said to Philip, switches back over to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So basically, Philip, again, just try to, this is in our mind's eye, right? You got the, you got the Ethiopian, he's, he's in this, this chariot, probably on the back end of it, someone's driving it, and he's sitting there, he's probably got his, maybe he has his feet down, there's, there's this scroll out, it's pretty remote, it's still a road, but it's pretty desolate out there, you don't see a lot of people, you will see some people every now and then, and he's reading out loud. While he's doing that, Philip is coming over perhaps a crest, perhaps a little bit of a hill. He looks down the road and he can see a dust. He can see like a chariot and it's, it's going slow, but he can see it from a distance. And then that impression comes to him. This is why you're here. Go, go and catch up to that. Now I'm assuming he had to start running, right? So I'm imagining Philip either running or walking very fast because he's got to catch that chariot. He's running, he catches up to him, and then he, at the very moment, he can start to hear him as he gets closer. He can tell, this man's reading. He's reading out loud. And what he was reading was the book of Isaiah. And as Philip gets closer and closer and closer, perhaps a little bit out of breath, maybe the man didn't even see him coming, but all of a sudden he's there and he says, hey, do you, know, do you understand what you're reading? And they must have been going really slow to have this conversation. And that starts something pretty amazing. Again, I was thinking about it. I was going, okay, it'd be like, it'd be like he's sitting here. He's reading his, from the, from the scroll, and we're told what he's reading. You know, and he says, look, I, he's so into what he's reading and so perplexed by the part that's not making sense to him that he's reading from Isaiah 53, by the way, that he doesn't even go, where did you come from? He, his first thing is, Ah, oh, you sound like you know something. How can I even, his, look what his answer, how can, no, do I understand what I'm reading? No, it does not make sense to me. How can I, how can I understand, how can I understand this? You know what the word reading, in, when the, in the word that we translate reading in the original Greek means to know again. Someone wrote it, and we read it, and we know it again. Basically, Philip is saying, do you know what you are knowing again? And he goes, no, I don't understand what I'm trying to know again. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't, do you know? 
how can I understand it? I, I need somebody to help show me what it means, explain it to me, because it doesn't make sense. Philip says, hmm, okay. And he says to him, look, if you think you know and can help me, I would love to have a conversation with you and have you explain it. Would you do that for me? Jump on board. Let's talk about it. It's a pretty amazing moment. And, the place in the, and then we're told another detail. The place in the scripture that he was actually reading, reading at that very moment were given. It's from, again, Isaiah 53. It's the great chapter of suffering Messiah that perplexed many of the ancient writers because they weren't understanding how could Messiah be someone who's going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. How, it's, of course, it was talking, foreshadowing, speaking of the fact that Jesus, who John the Baptist would say, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How Jesus would pay the price for us that we can never pay ourselves. How he would go to the cross as a lamb. He would not fight. He became what, for us what we could never do for ourselves. And in so doing, brought forth a victory over death, a death that would have its claim over us without him. Now watch what he says here. He says he was, this is what he was reading. He was, out, he was reading this. He was led as a sheep to his slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. It was wrong what was done to him. But who will declare his generation? Who will speak out for him? For he has been taken from the earth. Now, this was a messianic prophecy. And, and the eunuch, who's clearly sincere, is reading this, and he's going, I don't understand this. I, here's my, and it's almost like he's having this conversation. He goes, you know, th this is my real question for you. If I really had to get down, I can't tell when I read this. Is he talking, is the prophet talking about himself, or is he talking about, like, somebody else? And Philip says, oh, I can tell you that. I can tell you exactly what he's talking about. And he starts to tell him, let me tell you about Jesus. And he starts talking about how Jesus died. And he starts giving, and look, look what it says here. It says, now as they went down the road, it says, Philip opened his mouth in the beginning at the scripture, he started preaching Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, they came to some water. Now, somewhere along the way in the discussion about Jesus, the subject of baptism came up. It had to, because he says, look, there's water right there. Um, can I be baptized? Can I be baptized? May I be baptized as well? I would like to do this. Why can't we do it right now? I mean, can you imagine the appointment? Someone's, it'd be like us running into somebody and say, can you tell me about Jesus? And by the time we're done, say, you know, I'm ready to get baptized. I'm ready right now. Let's do this. You got a pool? You know, I mean, it's like, let's go. And so he, he goes, and Philip, look at this. Philip goes, okay, hold, hold on a second. You can but I, I need, look, I, I need to know, look, if you believe, I'm not, I'm not saying you get it all, but if you believe with all your heart, look at this, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he says, look, on the basis of what you shared with me, I believe that Jesus the Christ is the son of God. And so he says, stop, stop it, let me out. And see the picture of the two of them in the most unexpected, unanticipated divine appointment walking down <laughs> wherever that path was, right on the side, and the two of them walking into the water. And right there in the middle of desert, in the middle of nowhere, in a conversation that was never supposed to happen, they have a moment in which he goes and he is baptized. And it says that Philip leaves, whether he was taken by the Spirit in what way, whatever that, that actually means. It says that he was left there by himself, the, the eunuch, 
rejoicing. It's an amazing story. Now, there's, oh, there's so much for us. I, I look at this and I go, ah, Lord, what is there for you? One of the things I've noticed here, and I'm just going to throw a couple things and, and just let, let us sit with them. But I look at this and I go, number one, you know, God's way is going to sometimes challenge us, right? From time to time, it's going to challenge our notions of success and what it looks like. And sometimes it's going to invite us into humility and flexibility, particularly when it relates to our agendas, okay? Because you and I, we, you know, see, God sees the big picture. You and I see the micro pictures. God sees the tapestry, big, beautiful art. We see the threads, and sometimes we get tangled up in the thread that we see. And yet the big picture of it is God working a beautiful thing. And every now and then we're reminded that God's got a story going that's so intricate, that's so woven together, that's so amazing, and yet it involves people like you and me all the time. That oftentimes God is trying to set up appointments for us to have conversations with people who are at a place in their lives where they are genuinely seeking after him, just waiting for somebody to talk about him. And God wants us to be part of that story. I look at this and I go, wow, you know, Philip, God asked him to leave the multitudes to find this one man. And I think logically, I mean, it didn't make sense. Did the needs of the, the one outweigh the needs of the many? I mean, why would God call him to leave what was clearly an astonishing breakthrough? Why would God ask him to leave at the pinnacle of his success and seeming effective, effectiveness to do something that just honestly didn't make a lot of sense? But there was one man, right, who was seeking and I think, what are, the, you know, what are the implications for that? I think there are going to be times in our lives when God is going to want us to do something that is daring and, and maybe even goes against the grain of what we sometimes would say is successful or sensible. Or Here, Here's what I'm saying. And, okay, I need to say this. In the course of, well, since I was a youth pastor, really, when I was in my teens, so over third, three decades now, I've seen a lot of people do crazy things and say it was God who told them. It's like the phone goes off and they just go, God told me, right? And the thing is, I've watched people do things and, and they say, well, you know, I, I, it's God. and I've watched them hurt themselves. I've watched them hurt people they loved. I've, I've seen some crazy things done in the name of God told me. So I'm not, I understand that we need to be wise and there needs to be collective wisdom. I understand why God puts us in a community. I get that, totally, I do. I'm going to also say this, though. There are going to be times where God is going to call us to break out of our agendas and we're going to get an impression. It may not be a clear word, but it may be something like, you know what? I need you to have this conversation right now. But I got this, I know, but, I, and I get, I'm not saying we always get it right. But there are going to be times where God's going to say, I need, you to, I need you to pull off of that, and I need you to pay attention to this. It's going to, and in those moments, here's the second piece. In those moments, it's like God is going to be testing our heart, number two here. He reserves the right to test our heart, doesn't he? You know what I mean? Most of us, I know not all of us are in the same place, but some of us are more like the Ethiopian. We're on our way. We're seeking. We're intrigued. We're curious. We want to know, but we're not there yet. Others of us are. We've had a point when we've made a confession. We've made a decision. We are followers of Jesus. And when that happens in our lives, you know what happens is the Lord will periodically call us 
he'll challenge us at times to pull off of our agendas. And you know one of the things I was reminded of, and a lot of times that will involve other people. I was thinking about Peter, you know, and how he felt like he had nothing to give Jesus after he failed. What did the Lord say to him? Remember that moment? They were by the, we talked about it not too long ago. He was by the, they're by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has died. He rose. He's appearing to them. They're having breakfast by the fire. They're warming their hands. Peter comes in. In his enthusiasm to see Jesus, he forgets how bad he feels. But then he remembers as they're all around the fire. And Jesus says to him, in front of everybody, because they all knew he had failed, do you, Simon, Simon, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he points to those nets that he had been bringing in that represented his past. He says, I need you to feed my lambs. Now, I need you to talk, I need you to share, I need you to represent me. But Lord, I, I, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Here's the thing. When we love him, we need to be open. He's going to challenge us at times to speak up for him, to represent his heart. I understand that sometimes it's challenging. I get that. I understand that some of us have unique work environments. I totally get that. Remember, I've grown up in the city. I understand it. I understand how it works. I also understand that the Lord, if, if the Lord is going to show up in people's lives, it's because people who love him and, and are trying to honor him with their lives are willing to talk about him. I agree. We have to try to live a life with his help that speaks of something of genuineness. It's, it, it's good. I'll get, but there's also going to be moments where we, we have to be open to talking about it. We say we love him. If we say we, he's our savior. And then they, they just say, Lord, there are going to come moments where God literally sends someone. And they say, hey, you know, I'm interested in having a conversation. We have to decide, are we willing to do it? That's a fact. It's a third thing to consider around this, is that one of the things that we notice here, and I'll have to put this up, is one of the things we notice is that God loves to set up these divine appointments, doesn't he? Because why? There are seekers all around us. There are genu people who are genuinely desirous of, of wanting to know and wanting to talk. You know, I was thinking about it in my own life. There was a few years back, um, I was... I was not interested in having a conversation, just to be honest. I was coming out. I was at West Portal. I was getting a cup of coffee. I had my mail. I was sitting on a bench, and I just started, oh, I was fat. Everything about that was, I just want to be alone right now and enjoy my coffee and open my mail. And I remember because as I was opening up my mail, there was this one lady who was walking by, and she stops, and she goes, she goes, hey, I know that guy. Now, the mail I was open, it, had, it was like I was on a mailing list, and it was a ministry that I had some familiarity with, but I didn't know, I didn't really know. He was a kind of motivational speaker person. And I was opening up. First off, I go, why are you looking at me opening up my mail? Right? It's like, this is my mail. It's like, what is it? But she ends up wanting to talk to me. So we start talking, and so we start having this, now, again, I just, it's like, I just want to enjoy my coffee and have, and, and, right? I'm thinking, you know, I'm off duty right now, right? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, 
But a part of me, it was, it was like, you know, this is my space. And, I, and so she started, so, we're so I'm start talking to her. And then, and then we start talking. And she go, I go, well, you, I go, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I, I, I go, are, are you, are you a, a Christian? Are you follow the Lord? She goes, you know, I, I'm really not. She goes, but I'm very spiritual. And I said, really? And I go, what does that mean, you know, to you? So we start talking, and I could tell, you know, we were talking, I was going, and she's searching. She's searching. And somewhere in there, it dawned on me that, that what I thought was kind of like a conversation that was more of almost, honestly, for me, was almost like an interruption of my space and time was actually something that God was in. Now, I, I said, hey, I go, you know what? I go to this really interesting good church called Cornerstone. <laughs> I go, I go, I'd like to invite you to come, you know? It's pretty good. I didn't tell her who I was. I didn't tell her what I did. Because you know how that is, right? The minute someone finds you say, well, I'm a pastor, it's like the conversation just changes dramatically. All of a sudden, things get cleaned up in ways that start, it's like, I've noticed, now I understand, right? It took me, I understand that if I really want to have an authentic, real conversation, a lot of times I don't tell anybody what, I, what I'm doing because I just, but I can talk about Jesus. And so I start talking about the Lord, and we, so I said, you know, just come out, check out the church. So I, I kind of forgot, I kind of remember, but then I kind of forgot about it. Well, the following week, I was going, I wonder if she'll come. You know, I didn't, I didn't we didn't exchange any numbers. I had gave her a, a church card, though. And I thought, well, you know, Lord, either you were in that or maybe I was just to be part of a larger story. So, you know, lay some, you know, make a little bit of a difference, have that conversation, someone else will pick it up. I didn't think anything of it. So I didn't see her that next week. I thought, oh, she, I guess she didn't want to come. I, then I kind of forgot. Well, the following week in this church, at the back, I'm preaching, kind of teaching like I'm doing right now. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, I'm kind of looking, because every now and then I can see things. <laughs> and I'm looking, all of a sudden I'm sharing, and I can see this woman in the back. Just, I can see her just tears just streaming down her face. Her, her hands are, I was going, that's the woman. That's the woman I talk, I, that's Karen. That's who I became. She ended, Karen ended up giving her life to Jesus. And she ended up actually, as, as the years went by, in her older, she got, she got married here. She eventually moved away. But I, I never forgot that moment because here's the deal. I wasn't, it was like I wasn't even, it wasn't like I sat down at the beginning of the day and said, Lord. <laughs> right? I didn't go, Lord, okay, this is the day I'm ready for the divine appointment to happen. I just was like doing something. In fact, you could even argue that I was actually not initially even interested in having that conversation. But God set it up. And as time went on, and here's the point. If the Lord can use that, you know what? He'll use us to, to have these moments to just talk. with. Because it was not like, it was her heart was ready to open up. He just wanted, it was there. She was seeking. And there are people like Karen all around us. I'm reminded of that. And every now and then, God will do it. Sometimes he'll do it because he'll say, Lord, I want to talk to somebody back. That may happen too. But it may be somebody at work. It may be something that we weren't even calculating. But the key is, and this is what I've noticed, and, this is what we'll, and we'll leave it with this, this last closing thought, that when God uses someone, right, when he wants to answer the hunger in the heart of someone who is seeking just like that Ethiopian was, I want to know. I don't understand it. Can you explain this to me? Really? 
I just, I need a guide. I need a guide. That's the word he uses. Unless someone guides me. What is a guide? God often uses other people to guide the process. It's like he's saying, I've got this map, but I don't know where I am and what it means and how to unlock it. Can you help me? And in that place, that's how God uses, that's how God uses other people when he shows up. So here's the thing. It, it means his people, people who love him, need to be open to talking about him. Have to. It's not only agenda issues, it's also about willingness to, to talk. So, uh, you know, my life isn't like, okay, there's two things we can share. Just say, One is sharing my story. Everybody has a story of faith. It's our story of how God makes a difference in our lives. Sometimes I say to people, they say, well, you know, I don't want to talk about him yet because he might be new, new to following Jesus. And they'll say, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable because I, I don't know, I don't know like how it all fits together and I don't really know how to describe what Jesus, I, I don't really feel comfortable so I don't talk. I say, man, you are, you are at the exact, if you're new, you're at the exact place where you have contacts with people who, you know, just be who you are. It doesn't matter how you, it, look, it, it doesn't matter. Be authentic. I keep thinking about the blind man who, they, he didn't know anything about Jesus. He, he ended up having an interaction with him and he was healed. They call him in to interrogate him. And they say, tell us what your opinion is of this Jesus. And he says, I don't, I don't know anything about the man. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. <laughs> So you decide, right? It was like, and they got mad at that guy. But the truth is, there are times where the only real conversational piece we're supposed to have is, I may not be able to say it exactly correctly, but I can tell you this. I was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you about my story. That's one side. The other side is there are going to be people who God's going to lead us across who they actually want us to help them understand the Bible. And that means we, who claim to love him and be his disciples, and again, that's a wide range of people here. But a disciple is essentially a committed learner, a committed person, a committed learner, a committed one. And to me, a follower, a committed follower who is a learner of the way, and all, that means we're going to have to invest. That's why we talk about, you know, get into the Bible study. We got these ones going in June. Get make, in your small group. Talk about the scriptures. Read the Bible. Learn it. And when I say to people, I say, look, try to, as you can when you're in church, try to take notes. Try to jot things down. Try to engage it. Try to follow up in conversation around that. You know, pour something of intention into it. Expand that knowledge base of who God is. Be, in First Peter, it says, be ready to give an answer for the reason of the faith, your hope. To anyone who asks of that, of you, a reason of the hope that lies within you, give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within you with all gentleness and humility. And, when, and then he, Peter goes on to say, and if anyone says, look at your life, you know, you could say that, that for the most part, it's a consistent life. Talk about your love for the Lord. Talk about it with humility and live and try to line it up with not a perfect life, but a growing, authentic, more aligned life than what it would have been without him. And you know what? It will make a difference because the message is, look, someone says, if, if someone isn't reached, it's because some Philip was unwilling to go. There are times where God has appointments that he wants set up. I mean, the coincidence, I mean, you think about that. 
the timing, <laughs> Philip's running, just arrives at the very moment when he's opening up uh, the book of Isaiah, reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, from a particular piece of that chapter, out loud, frustrated, uh, I can't, one more place I can't get into. I don't understand. And in that place, God brings them together and creates this divine appointment. And it, to me, it's like, this is what God wants to do in all of our lives. We can be all involved in amazing and extraordinary sacred things if we'll just say, Lord, hey, I'm open to you. And help me, here, when that moment comes, help me, one, to recognize it, even if you're stubborn like me and, and it happens slowly and probably don't deserve it, to be quite honest. Because I'm sitting there going, Lord, this is my space, this is my time. And honestly, do I have to have this conversation? And the answer as it went along was, by the time I was done was, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being part of something like this, even when I didn't deserve it. So, all right, let's pray. So, Lord, as we get ready to close out here, as we get ready to bring this to a point of closure, at least is this part of our story, at least we have our, we're going to have our time of giving of tithes and offerings. But in, in our closing song, which does speak about how love acts, how love does, how your love notices, and how your love sets things up, and you want us to be daring people on your behalf, not reckless, not crazy, not arrogant, not self-righteous, but willing to represent your heart authentically and courageously at times and sometimes with daring and with an openness that allows us to be a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves. And who can say, I, I don't even know all the good that is yet to come just because we're willing to try to be open. Thank you. I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you that you use even reluctant servants to do your bidding. And I pray that we would know the joy of seeing people come to know you. Help us sometimes to lay aside the blessing you give us to become the blessing you meant for us to be. This is what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord.